0: Hi, this is Mike Peters from Big Country. You're listening to the Great Divide Podcast. Hey
1: everyone, welcome to episode twenty-three of the Great Divide Podcast. We are back. We've taken a little bit of a of a break. Well, not intentionally, but I know it's been a little bit of time between the last episode. But we are back now, and the big country tour of North America has now, as of
2: yesterday, um, completely finished. They really did it. They lasted till the end. So, well done. Uh, three months through the U.S. in a broken-down tour bus is no mean feat. And at this point, <laughs> uh, I actually want to pay tribute to the bus. So <laughs> they, uh, I, I, uh, I'm just going to recap something that Sandra Watson shared yesterday uh, with yet again – At the time, the band was sitting in the dark in the bus, so the lights were out, the wifey was out, the brakes were faulty, the air conditioner didn't work, (laughs) the alternator was broken, so they had no electricity or charging possibilities, the windows were broken, the wind mirrors (laughs) are broken, and uh, she wasn't even sure if she missed anything, so uh, Uh. I I was kind of thinking it would be natural for any vehicle to be a bit banged up from from heavy usage over three months, but apparently the bus started out that way, so... uh, (laughs) So well done, turbus Uh if, <laughs> if it started out that way, I would never have guessed it to last three months, but it did. So it's probably soaking in some backlog now with a band uh, on the way home. So, well, it may,
1: uh, it, it may be destroyed. Who knows? I, <laughs> I remember talking to talking to Bruce at the Sellersville show, and he said how much he hated that bus and that, and that when the tour was over, he wanted to just to just do something to it, just destroy it. So.
2: I think they managed to,
1: to destroy it. So the guys in the band are about to take a well-deserved break, head back to their respective homes, and we are going to pick up um, today talking about something that happened on one of the last shows of the tour that I got to see. It was in Sellersville, Pennsylvania, And I got to interview Mike Peters backstage before the Big Country show. So why don't we just uh, play it right now, and when it's finished, we will talk about some of the things that he mentioned. All right, so you guys are coming to the end of this North American tour. And speaking to Bruce, this is the longest tour he said Big Country has ever been on, period, in their their entire career. So how do you gauge – how do you gauge the success, whatever that means to you, of this North American tour and what you've accomplished as you come toward the end of it? Well, it is a tour that, that the band had to do. Yeah. Um, the, there was a lot of
0: the audience were here who who, who and a lot of never experienced Big Country live full stop, yeah. never mind seeing them with Stuart Adamson when Stuart was alive. So um, if we were going to make a new record, we had to embrace that, um, the idea of that. As a complete um, form, you know, and that meant touring it, playing it in places, yeah. and proving it again. And and um, and to live, the band had to come out here and find out it, where, where its audience was, and and connect the dots again, and bring everyone together, and right. and see if it could have a future beyond uh, this point in time. And uh, I think it's it's proved to a lot of people that the band is committed to the music. It's not. Um, just uh, a nostalgia act and uh, it's um it's been good for everyone concerned i think you know for for the history of the band it's freshened that up yeah. and and it's given it a context that it that it might never have had before it's made it come alive again and um
1: and it's created a future for the band that's great right. and you know this is not really a question more of a comment but as a long-time fan myself, I think I can speak for a lot when we say how much we appreciate what you've done. Because, oh. you know, when Stewart passed away and the, and the the reasons behind it and and the way he passed away, it was such a dark cloud over the mm. music of the band. Absolutely. And yeah. what you've done, really, and what the other guys have done, is is kind of brought the joy back to that music. That's it. And, uh, well,
0: to me, whenever I, I saw Big country. It was uplifting, that that was yeah. what the main thing I got from it. Was you felt. Enthused about life when you saw the band. Yeah. You know Stuart's commitment to, and passion was was evident in everything he did in his guitar playing, the way he sang, the songs right. he wrote, and uh, and you can see the legacy of that because people are still passionate about the band. Yeah. Most bands who haven't played for twenty years would be completely forgotten about, mm-hmm. but Big Country is different as people who still uh, have hung in there with hope that something may happen. <laughs> You know, and even though, you know, um, in all that time from 93 to 2013, the most, you know, incredibly tragic event happened, but still never deterred the audience from hoping they were going to still see something from Big Country. Right. Because I think the fans know that that, uh, Big Country is the sum of the parts it wasn 't just all Stuart Adamson you know i mean i 'm in that position in the alarm. People see me singing the songs and I write everything and create everything and that 's <laughs> not always true it 's a team effort, and more so than you know what was interesting for me with big country was it was a team effort you know I could see that that everyone contributed to the music and and, and for me that 's very different because with the alarm, I do write the songs, and yeah. create all the lyrics, and, and I come in to the to play a, a song to the band that 's very fully formed, right? Whereas in big country, all you've got is the seed, there's no tree, <laughs> right? You've just got the idea, <laughs> the musical, and, bits and, and yeah, yeah, and it just fleshes out from there. And, um, and you know, Stuart was given a great platform to be the person we all loved as a musician and an artist, he, he had a great springboard to dive into his lyrics from because yeah. the music was created with the whole team and yeah. you know bruce and mark had, and tony had a massive part to play in the evolution of the band's music yeah and then stuart would take it away and hear the the lyrics and the melody and and he would hear those without a guitar in his hand yeah. as he was listening to a soundtrack and and that's, that's something i'm proud of that we kept that yeah. part of Big Country intact
1: I think, because I think that was very important was, was that intentional with, as you said a, about to write the Journey album that you wanted to keep that <clears together? throat> very much so okay. yeah. yeah very much so because I it had. really com- I mean the thing that really yeah. surprised me so much about the Journey is it's, it's a fantastic album but it has the feel of Big Country yeah? yeah and I was certainly hoping for that but didn't know exactly what to expect but I think ninety percent of the fans will tell you that that's that feeling really comes through. Yeah. So whatever you did was you well, did it write. was just I just felt it needed to stem from Bruce and Mark as
0: much as possible, and yeah. Tony as well, because Tony was involved in yeah. the writing in the initial stages as well. And and it, it really that was it was it was there was no point in me bringing a, a Mike Peter song to the table because that would just sound like Big Country plays the Alarm, right. and that that wouldn't be true to um what we were trying to achieve yeah. and what needed to be done yeah. and um and so I, I really stayed out of the creative process until i was needed until I, you know it was like a was a you know that just as that person that, to to receive the lyrics in the same way stuart would have received them yeah. um the music is always suggestive and evocative of words um there's a lot of instrumental in Big Country. You know, when you go back to the crossing, I remember the first time I ever listened to it, and things like Man and Lost Patrol came to the fore for me. And they were songs almost without lyrics. So it was a long, long time. Yes. You know, even when you hear chants there's a long, long passages with no lyrics, right. and and those passages are suggestive of words and images any in themselves. And I, and as a fan of Big Country, I just had to. Stay out of the process till the, the, it was there was enough going on to, to suggest some lyrics and vocal melodies and, and then and then I felt that I could maybe contribute slightly earlier than Stuart would have done with the lyrics and the melodies yeah. because he was still involved playing guitar all the time right. and all their music came up as instrumentals right um, whereas I could hear a half instrumental and then get involved because i didn't have to. Right. guide the guitars or work in harmony mm-hmm. like Stuart would be working in harmony with Bruce but yeah. that was all taken care of by Jamie and right, Bruce right, right. so I could just come in and hear, hear vocal melodies and lines and, and in the initial lyrics with particularly The Journey I actually sat down with Mark and Tony and virtually interviewed them to get the lyrics oh, wow. out of them wow. uh, and, and basically I wanted to capture their feelings mm-hmm. And that's where the ideas of there's no disgrace or guilt or shame mm-hmm. in in having faith that you can live again, and mm-hmm. and, that, and those kind of lines were pulled out from them. In fact, I think it that's was Tony lies. who actually said, "Sometimes you got to make the journey." And I went, "That's the song title." Really? There. Wow. wow! So, and it was that was what the band was going through. And yeah. I, sat, I remember sitting at the table outside the studio with with Mark and going through the lyrics of "The Arms to Hold You Right by Your Side," and that's how he always. That's how he saw it. That Stuart was with him on the journey. Oh, that's great!
1: It's fantastic. Um, it, it seems to me when I look back at the journey that you guys have had since you joined Big Country as, a, as an official member, you, you had to get through that phase where you played live and, and dealt with uh, the whole whatever you had to deal with with a mm. new lineup playing live, and then you made the album. Do you have you gotten to the point now where you feel like this is your band, and you know you can maybe move away a little bit from the Stuart? portion you I not know I can't, yeah. I can't I don't know if I can resolve
0: that one yet yeah it still feels like Stewart's band to me yeah and I think it always will be and always should be really uh I don't think it should become Mike Peter's band Mike Peter's band is the alarm right um that's what I like about working in big country it's it's not self-centered around myself and my life and yeah. which the alarm is yeah. Uh, and I, I enjoy it for that reason it's a responsibility to other people's lives in big country and, uh, and the writing has to reflect other people's lives the, the history of the band the story yeah. of the band has to come into play and I'm lucky that I was a fan of the band and knew them well yeah. and I could translate that down yeah. into words that resonated with the audience who and made the connections back through the albums to earlier references and, um, yeah, and you could, they're definitely throughout the album, the, the, which is great. There's a lot there, exactly, and uh, and I think that that was important. I think that was it was important to touch the fans in that way that they knew that there was somebody at the home who was thinking of them as well yeah. and their relationship with big country because without the audience, a band is nothing. It doesn't. It, it has to have a reason to live. Right. Uh, it can exist in a garage for fun, right. but. but Big Country has touched a lot of people and, and has connections all around the world um, and yeah. through, made through the music and the lyrics and people have had them at uh, important occasions in their life and Definitely. so um, I felt just felt very uh, strongly that the band needed to make a record that was built on all those foundations that everyone recognizes our Big Country yeah fantastic
1: are, are you okay with time by the sure. way if, yeah.
0: okay if you want if
1: no, you me to can... start no no, no it's okay Let's <laughs> see, have a
0: great radio oh thank, <laughs> yeah. oh thank you I appreciate that
1: oh good thank really. you yeah. okay good
0: my tapping isn't distracting no
1: not at all but you're fine um, well, let me ask you about I, when I spoke to you in Leesburg briefly you, you mentioned the possibility of a Steel Town uh, anniversary thing it, what's the status of that that's really got a lot of fans excited about well I, I think
0: th- I think that's something that's got to happen it's a natural step in the band's evolution there's yeah. there's, um, there's the, the whole journey tour has been about looking forward but but bands with history have to look back as well that's where sometimes you find the next um paths in the future is going back you, i think one of the things that that um made the journey the record it was is that we'd spent the previous months totally immersed in the crossing playing it night after night and uh Looking at that record and looking at the lyrical connections in that, and being able to sing them with conviction every night, it embeds you into the, a sort of mindset. Yeah. And and yeah. so I think the next uh, phase for the band has to go, has to be, uh, you know, as well as the fans, we have to celebrate the Steel Town. That's the next record in the, yeah. the history of the band. I think we can go back to it. You know, as a fan of that record, I think I think uh, I'm I'm from somebody who's a fan who's got a line into the inner circle if you like right. um, th- there was th- a lot of things went wrong with that record yes. the, uh, and um, so it's nice to be able to put those right so um, I, I was able to um, sort of broker some conversations with Universal with the band through the box set sessions um, and Steel Town was originally going to be scheduled to be reissued in, in January when I said look well the band that can the tour, we, we want to embrace Steel Town and revisit that record. So it's yeah, great. The, we've, there's been some talk about going back to revisit the album, remix it because okay. it was a very murky record. Um, members of the band went there at certain times, and and um, Steve Lillywhite wasn't going through his best period. <laughs> which I think he'll openly admit. <laughs> yes, yes. I Heard think um, the success of his career had taken its toll on him. Yeah, and his ears. And, and i think that's one of those records everyone would like to go back to not just as fans to hear it again but the band need to go back to the record because yeah. it's probably a greater record than it actually is yeah i think the songs are great on it yeah uh it just didn't have room enough to breathe i think in some some ways uh because of the the darkness of the mix yeah and um the the, the uh it was slightly got out of control, yeah. so to bring some elements of that yeah. now, I, I, don't, I you know the bit because I think a little bit of revision is a good thing here mm-hmm. uh, it, it ha- allow Big country the benefit of hindsight yeah. to present Stuart's voice in a great way on that record. it would be a good thing, strip some of it out. You know, yeah. which probably horrifies some of the fans. <laughs> but it uh, would be but, very but, interesting hear. Know, It's going to be interesting to be able to play it live because some of it is, is challenging, and yeah. uh, some of it didn't get played that much by the country uh, in its yeah. original era. I think they, there were so many overdubs on the record right. that it became di- difficult for them to try and translate it onto the stage, but. Um, Having heard somebody playing "Play, and play the West on acoustic <laughs> guitar on this tour, maybe, you know there's a way of stripping it back to the song and then rebuilding the songs.: I think that would be the perfect uh, approach yeah, and giving it allowing it to um, stand up in a modern context because yeah. lyrically it still carries a lot of weight that yeah. record, and, and, and to set it free from its original 1980s settings yeah. and allow the songs to breathe again. I think uh, we can bring a fresh outlook to the record, which again will will allow us to, to to breathe as a band and not be choked in the history either. You know, yeah, it's important that exactly. we learn from Steel Town, not just go back there and right. represent it, but but right. re re it a little bit, freshen it up, make people realize what a great record it was. Not that they don't know, <laughs> but to be able to play it live in a modern context again will be uh, it'll be exciting it's a big challenge oh yes big challenge
1: it's but it's, it's almost like otherworldly music on that album in a sense it's, uh, I've yeah. never heard quite a it's uh, sort of like a guitar orchestra at times there's, there's a lot going on I, I
0: know that Bruce confided in me that that Stuart had, had, had left the sessions for a couple of weeks because he had to go back to Scotland and, okay. and it was just Bruce and the engineers and they just kept piling on more guitars <laughs> and stuff because they had they were learning there were slide guitars in there right. and you know the, the first time they started bending notes and there right. and, and, right. and they were experimenting and, and and everything stayed in the mix um because uh there was a certain um a psychosis going on around the record and right. and there was a rush to get it out uh, yeah. and i don't think it was being recorded in in, sw- in, uh, sw- in Sweden, Sweden I think, I yeah. think yeah. Abba studio, studio yeah. yeah so there, there was an element of Tony wasn't there for a while and wow. uh, and so it was made under duress in a, in a weird sort of way yeah uh, and so it'd be nice I think Bruce and Mart are really keen to go back to that record and and remix it basically from the ground up which I think would be great because the original album will always stand sure yep, you always and have it so why not go back to it and clean up all the the paintwork and restore it and 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 let it live again I in, the, say, whoever, in the modern context whatever engineer pulls out that
1: master tape and starts going through that uh, oh boy that's going to be quite a job need a 300 <laughs> channel desk oh yeah, uh, just a couple more for you um, yeah and I'll, I'll be through um you mentioned the lyrics of stewart and you're known for your lyrics as well and i'm wondering looking back on i know what the song in a big country means to you i've seen mm. the documentary and it's you know it's great what that particular song means to you are there any other lyrics of Stewart now that you've taken on the back catalog that really have stood out to you um that just kind of you know made you appreciate him more or well, well I, I like i like a lot of the stuff on
0: buffalo skinners is a great nice. record and, and driving to Damascus i think was a very revealing record yeah. um and i love never take your place and i just see Stewart in all of it yeah. uh and The man I loved is is present in those lyrics, and uh, and like you say, that the one act of his life that that took him away from all of us overshadowed all of that. So uh, it's great to let the lyrics live again through song. I'm a massive fan of Fragile Thing. I think that's you know uh, part of it is it's sort of I think of John Lennon in these modern times, and you see things going on. What would he have said about that? And that's sort of what I hear from the lyrics I, when I look back at Stuart's lyric catalogue is I, I miss what the commentary
1: would have given to today's events. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, and that that's sort of the uh, what. Uh, he seemed to be very prescient in some of his lyrics as far
0: as uh, it, it, what's happening. It, I think that's why the relationship is still intact for a lot of the big country audience because the lyrics have not dated one second. Yeah. They do not belong to. Times they were written in; they're timeless, and uh, yeah. they've got a lot of weight and dignity in in them. And and that was always, that was always the person I saw. And Stuart, when I met him, he was yeah. very dignified. he was very unselfish. Uh, you know, when when he was talking to me about carrying on in big country, uh, on the drive Damascus tour, it was because he was, he wasn't being selfish at all. And thinking it is his band, right. he, he just saw it as being well. His his role in the band was changing and he felt that he he confided in me that he he felt he'd almost forced the band to come to Nashville to to, to work on driving to Damascus and Mm -hmm. and that they still wanted to make classic big country sounding records with the natural influences that were were always in the music and uh, and Stuart was moving away from that he was getting into B-Bender kind of guitars and playing in a country style right and uh, and he didn't want to drag the band down that path. He, so he wanted to set them free and say, look, just get another singer and carry on. I'm sure it would all be great and the fans would embrace it and everything like that. But I, personally, I just thought he was going through a whole, whole midlife crisis at that time. <laughs> right. Uh, and that's how I saw it. So uh, it, we didn't take it much further than conversations. But I didn't realise how serious Stuart was about it. But again, he, it was just, he was unselfish selfish in, in that Position and uh, and I, and that's why I think he he would have embraced what the big big country does today. He was uh, he would have been pleased that Bruce and Mark had carried on and, and made decisions that were respectful to the band's history yeah. and and hadn't given up and yeah. and and let the weight of the history crowd them out of, of an opportunity to play again for the right. future with right. the band that they were a part of and gave so much to and. And they've got every right to continue, and Stuart would have recognized that. Yeah. Without a doubt. I think definitely. Okay,
1: final one for you, Mike. Um, you, you had a really touching blog post uh, a while back about your about the show in Denver oh, where right. you lost your voice. And I think that really touched a lot of uh, big country fans, especially because of some of the things you said about um, feeling like you had to sing Stuart's words. And. Uh, a lot of people told me if I got the chance to talk to you, to express to you that they feel like you, you got to to give yourself a break from, <laughs> from that. That I think people really are so appreciative of the um, the way that you've handled so graciously stepping into this, and that's why I asked before. You know, do you feel like you get to the point where you say this is your band? Yeah. Not necessarily to minimize what Stuart has done, but just you know to to move forward with whatever you want to say and what you yeah. think you've done with the journey
0: I wouldn't want it to be my band that would be wrong and uh, I hope it never gets to that I right. think that would be the wrong mindset to have yeah. I mean and I don't mean to say that yeah. as if, as if
1: you I know, think it's just orders,
0: but. It, it, it's it's an unusual role to be in because I'm the yeah. singer and people look always look to singers for leadership there's an ego that goes with the lead singer yeah. that, that if it's not there fans miss it because right. that, it sort of pulls things together and and you become the conduit for for the ideas, yeah. a lot of the ideas to roll through. But sure. but I, I never saw Big Country as being a singer's band. I always saw him as being a guitarist's band. Definitely. And well. I, I I always think of Stuart as a guitarist first. As good a voice as he had, as great a singer as he was, I still think of him as a guitarist first. I think most would. I, I, and I think that the, that's, the band has to be guitar-driven, and it, if it became songwriter-led, which almost it did or well, Big Country did become songwriter band you know mm-hmm. the Driving Damascus was very song driven it wasn't a, a, a guitar driven band yeah. by that point and I, I think somewhere along the line the, 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 an identity crisis yeah. evolved and I, I can sort of understand it because Stuart was so tied to being the cliche of the bagpipe guitar guy right. the drone strings and because right. and, and and he, he was so great at that and he was so depth of the guitar, why repeat himself? So he, he's probably spent most of his car trying to career while he was alive trying to get away from <laughs> right. the sound of big country. Right. But from my point of view, I was able to um, embrace it. This door. You go around the and go in through this door. <laughs>
1: Sorry.
0: <laughs> so to me it, it is a uh, I to that. Yeah, I, I think it was important to uh, embrace the guitar element of the band, let that that breathe, and and if it if it became songwriting, I think that'd be time to step back from it yeah. all because then yeah. you know um, you've got it. Ultimately, it has to be Bruce and Mark's band, right. and they have to take the lead and make the the final decisions. Um, otherwise, I think it it would lose some of the the honesty that's that's there, it's a very honest band at the moment right now, dealing yeah. with all the emotions, not just what happened to Stuart but what happened to Bruce and Mark and the people left behind and the family and everything like yeah. that yeah. all comes to the fore and the, the band has to be an outlet for those emotions and okay I can be the conduit but I don't think I can be the full on instigator sure, of everything
1: sure. Um, sure. so it's, it's uh, important that it it rolls the way it's rolling that's great and clearly you it's not James Brown it's Mike Peters who was the hardest working man in show business
2: <laughs> so I did have
1: one final one real quick one for you that my co-host Svein from Norway wanted me to ask you oh, yeah. is, what do you do for a holiday and do you even take a holiday <laughs> ever uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I think you <laughs> should answer that because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it really is mind blowing we talking vacations we were so. talking oh, vacations yeah. Yeah. Um, oh I'm um, Obviously, <laughs> life's
0: one long vacation. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, well, they say if you do what you love, then you're never working. That's so it. clearly, that's what you're that, doing. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. It? it's a family, you can because I'm in the mom that and it's
0: we're just everything we do is either live, home, strength, or music. So mm. we're sort
1: of here vacationing. That's great. Yeah, so so it's great. To see them. It's great to see them. They're beautiful kids. Yeah.
0: We've always seen that uh, this is a hobby, this is our yeah. hobby, and um. And so, long may it continue. And and, yeah. uh, um, so, and you know, I live my life through the music. It's given me some great opportunities in life. And um, you know, the charity that say that's been that's growing and growing. That's becoming a huge uh, part of our life. But I owe my life to that really. Yeah. So um, it's all part of the of the family, and we've got some great friends and yeah and life's very interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, it's never dull put it that way that's for sure and I'm lucky to have Jules and my boys you know, they're, you know the kids helping out with the gear every night yeah, and, yeah. you know they're immersed as, as immersed in it as I am and, and uh, um, we're very lucky to have a rounded life and you know we're Jules and I are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary really? next Tuesday. Oh, <laughs> playing, <laughs> a gig. playing a game with Big Country. Really? Oh wow! <laughs> How uh, romantic is that?
1: Romantic <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the most fitting place, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, well, thank you so good, much. We, we've been, you
0: know, I say, I, I've been grateful for all the support I've had in the Big Country, and it's been. Fantastic! I felt that the first night I stepped out to sing with a band in Glasgow at the ABC, we were all there, mm. and and I felt when I walked out that the audience were willing it to happen mm. as much as I was, and and there wasn't there wasn't any negativity we, because what what, could, what was what's the worst thing that could happen it d- was well we tried you know right, that's ultimately right. what everyone wanted to do, and yeah. I, and I, I think we've all. The whole thing has gone on way beyond what we thought it would be. Yeah. But we dared, we we really did dare to dream this all up again.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and, uh, it's amazing. And
0: it's been absolutely... Who would have thought Big Country would be playing in Sellersville, you know, right. in Pennsylvania, right. Right. again, after all this... After everything I know. that's happened, it's, I know. It's, a, it's a great human story of, of of overcoming incredible obstacles. It really is. And, uh, and you know, have, having positive... Frame of mind. You know, I, I, of course. There's people. I, you know, I'm aware there's people who don't want this to be what it is, and I, I can understand that. I don't understand people want to just absolutely bring it down. Yeah. You know, I would say it's like, well, walk away. You know, there's a great quote from Mark about in the in the press release about the forthcoming British tour. Mark says the the past is safe. The memories are all safe. They're never going to change. They are what they are. But it's time for some new memories and new dreams that's perfect for big country yeah. and, and, uh, and I think to me that says it all and it, you know if we have it here and there and you see people trying to bring it down I always want to say to them, look, just walk away I forget know. it I know exactly that, you can still have what you had that's never going to change but pl- everyone who wants to stand up and move on let them do it What's, yeah. what
1: harm we're not causing harm in the world right. we're trying to heal wounds not create wounds I can see that as sort of a misdirected maybe Malformed yeah. love of something that's absolutely. kind of, you
0: yeah, know, I, I agree. Over, you know, and there's a lot of passion that goes into that, yeah. But uh, you know, my, my life is defined by being positive yes. and, and and taking a step forward rather than a step back. Well, the great majority are definitely with you, and we I'm, appreciate Absolutely, everything and, and I'm grateful for their support because we've been able to do this together. It's been a shared um, experience talking with people about Stuart has informed me about him. I've right. learned things I didn't know that have informed the mm-hmm. lyrics and it's all come out of this family coming together to stay to try and stay together yeah and rather than let something dissipate because you know you have to have new input yeah. you know when families suffer loss it's that great saying when one, you know when one door closes another one opens right. you know and for every person that leaves the planet a new baby's born and right. we have to move on in, with that in mind that's the only way that's what stuart would have wanted yeah that's so, why, you know, I always saw what he did as, as an act of sacrifice, um, and to set people free. And the ones he loved, he wanted to set them free from his own pain. and That's how I see it, and, yeah. uh, and that's what gives me the strength to carry
2: on with Big Country. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. So appreciate your time. Cheers, Tom. Shit there are many things we could talk about really in that interview and it's really a good interview and I, I don't know how stressed you were but you really crammed a lot into 30 minutes so oh, thanks yeah really really nice good. and one of, one of the things that struck me is obviously what he said about uh, this tour being a test to see if they had a future beyond this point uh, to not just be a nostalgia act and that's a very interesting comment because they toured for two years with no new product and you could rightfully maybe say that they were treading a bit nostalgia, uh, but also dipping their toe in the waters, it was something new and you had a sense that it was more, you had a sense that something was coming and true enough, first you got the single and then we got the album. And now we got the longest tour ever, and I think at this point in time nobody can uh, say that they're dealing with nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the band has a context it may not have had before, just like Mike said, uh, "Come alive again, create the future." And I dare say the fact that they spent three months on the road with that tour bus on top of it (laughs) and uh, (laughs) uh, really slugging it out in uh, not very big places with variable turnouts, but still, you know, slugged it out. Uh, tell something about their intention, that they're not just doing this, you know, going out and playing a few shows for fun. Uh, I think they have fun, but three months on the road, staying away from home is hard. Uh, They're not in their 20s anymore, with one exception. So uh, that that makes it harder. So they clearly mean business. And everything Mike says just about backs it up, that there is a real intent, and uh, this is the future, and this is something they really betting on – and I guess you got the same sense from my – with that.
1: Yeah, I definitely did. And uh, I, I thought his comment about um, freshening up the history of the band was interesting too in, in reference to the new album and to touring a new album. I thought that was a good comment. Um, but yeah, I mean – and as you say, it was, it was a very – very much a varied turnout type of tour – I mean I saw two shows. The one I saw in Leesburg was was very well attended. It wasn't sold out, but it was very well attended. Something, you know, you would be proud to, to mm-hmm. be a part of. The one I saw in Sellersville, the most recent one, I was I have to admit I was disappointed at first and it kind of bummed me out because it was a small place to begin with, maybe maybe fills 200 people and it was half full. And so there were plenty of empty seats that you could see. And but any of those feelings were were pretty quickly Um, diminished when the band came out because they they just played like they were playing a full arena i mean you you would never know for a second that they were disappointed in the crowd or or tired from from the long uh Mm -hmm. journey that they've been on and it, it sounds like a cliche or something that would you would say in a press release or something but it was really true i mean they played like uh they played just as strongly as they did in the in the very crowded Leesburg show that I saw and yeah. to be honest that that Sellersville show was probably the best sounding show of the two it, sound, it just sounded fantastic so the band really deserves a big audience I, I really hope they they get more of that when they go back to the UK and and finish out this journey tour there um i hope they get more more people coming to see them um that's that would be my only issue but one thing i will also say about the tour is that in speaking with Bruce a little bit about it he was disappointed in the way the shows were booked because he mm-hmm. he wanted more shows uh, and that doesn't mean a longer tour but he wanted more shows crammed into the time that they were there he said that that there were periods where they would spend maybe like two or three days without a show and he did he did not want that he wanted to play believe it or not he wanted to play like five nights a week so Apparently, they were getting sometimes they would get that, and sometimes they would get maybe three nights a week or maybe even two nights a week if it was bad. So that was something he was disappointed about. And so I think he he did say that this tour was a was a learning experience for the band. He's, at least with America. He said that they got a good feel for where they're where they draw well and where they don't draw well. They got a, they, they got a good feel for how not to book the tours and how how what they need to improve on for the next time they come here and right and and he did say there would be a next time so American fans I mean he really seemed intent on coming back so we'll see
2: hmm. so do you feel that the band themselves are the ones who need to learn these things? Would't it be a management thing and they are based in America to begin with?
1: Yeah, I think it's the management issue. I mean that's just my personal feeling. I mean you can't expect the band – I mean they're veterans of this business for the most part, so they know how it works. But still, once they once they turn things over to a booking agent or to a manager, they expect those guys to take care of business the, at the right way. They don't want to have to worry about that. That's why they right. pay those people. So I, I did sense that there was a little frustration with someone or some you know some group on that side of things mainly with the people booking the shows that there was a frustration with the way they were being booked and with the frequency of the shows So uh, i know he wanted more shows and um i'm sure that's a financial thing you know it's it's i think he said it, it costs like a thousand dollars a day to run that bus alone yeah and to, to pay for all this, the stuff associated with that so they need to make that money back and you know, pay the crew and pay for their meals and for everything else. So um obviously, you know they need a lot more shows. So I think if they do come back here again and do an extended tour like this, they'll hopefully be able to work those kinks out and do something that'll be more financially rewarding for them because i I don't think this particular tour while while it was rewarding for them, I believe, as far as raising their profile here, um, I don't think it was probably a really financially rewarding tour for them. But as you say they they are committed to this and and it's it amazes me that they have this kind of commitment being such a, a group of veteran players, you know, as you as you say, not in their 20s anymore except for Jamie. And um but they're they're man, they they impress me. They those guys are pros and they have a lot of energy and they they can weather a lot of storms and they did on this US tour and um they they were playing great. So
2: Yeah, definitely. And every report said the same thing, that no matter the turnout, they played with enthusiasm and conviction, and it didn't matter if it was 10 or 100 or 1,000, they they played the same. And uh, that just shows the commitment and the love for what you're doing. So I I respect them a whole lot, just hearing that. Not that I doubted it. But actually hearing it and doing it to the very end, until last night, people said the same thing. So so that is good. And I think uh, you spoke about the frustrations of the band. I think there's also been some frustration on the fan side where I see people saying, are they coming or are they not coming? And Shows would be uh, available or dates would be available uh, within one or two weeks before they actually played somewhere which is not a long time for people to plan travels this happened over the summer where people uh, I don't know in in Europe at least they take holidays primarily in the summer months so I don't know if it's the same in the States but still some people probably do and uh, you, you need a couple you know ideally months notice not a couple weeks in order to properly travel these things and maybe you have to juggle show travel with family vacations and work commitments and uh, that's a difficult puzzle to, to lay. So right. um, this uh, probably can become better for, from that perspective, and it can probably be better for the band to fill their schedules better and do a better organized tour. So I, I found it noteworthy that they went on the road and they had about half of those three months booked, and the rest was to come. And sometimes yeah. it didn't come very far in advance. And also, the dates would be... Uh, announced by the venue and not be available through official channels until a bit later too so there was sometimes a disconnect so not pointing fingers but uh, yeah as a learning experience it's clear what to focus on next time so uh, uh, i guess you can say it's been a great tour from some perspectives but a potential for improvement in others
1: yeah i think that's the perfect way to put it perfect way to put it so we'll see hopefully they'll be back here in 2014 and and beyond. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, Mike seemed to be really enthused for the most part about what they had accomplished on the tour. And kind of after that, uh, and we'll talk about this other point that I wanted to mention. I, I really did not do a good job asking him another question that we started to talk about, which was when I started to ask him about, do you feel like this is your band now? And you and I have talked about this on the show before. And yeah, I felt bad listening to it. I kind of there's another point later in the interview where I ask him again and try to clarify it again. And I think he was seeing my question as me saying, do you think this is your band as in you are the sole leader of the band, just like the alarm? And that's not at all what I was trying to say to him. I was trying to I was trying to ask him if he felt like he was really an equal part of the band, like he is a member of big country, period. I mean, we know that he is. But I've got to admit, when I look at the band, sometimes especially when mike first joined it almost seemed to me like he was um an outsider uh, in a, sense. Yeah, a hired you, hand a hired hand yeah or or as we might say in america a pinch hitter that's like someone someone in the game of baseball who comes who can hit really well and comes in to take the place of someone else for a little while and they're never really like necessarily the official uh hitter but they're taking someone's place and That's kind of how I felt about him. And so I I was trying to get that across. Like, do you feel like you are an equal part of the band now? Like, this is your band, just like the alarm was your band. And I don't think I did a very good job of that because he kept saying, you know, no, this this is Stewart's band. It's always going to be Stewart's band. And I'm just here to do this and to add my flair to things. But I always want this to be Stewart's band. So. I felt like that was an interesting part of the conversation, even though I didn't get my point across the way I wanted to. I felt like his answers were, were really noteworthy. I mean he still is always going to be holding the torch for Stuart and um, so I don't think we can ever expect a time where they're going to be moving away from, from that. And um, I, I like that, and I, I also feel like it could be maybe problematic moving forward in some respects, but I also like it because obviously – my love of Stuart is so strong, as is, as is all of our love of Stuart. But um, <laughs> it's nice to constantly see see reminders of him and him always brought up and et cetera. But uh, I don't know. How did, how did you view that portion of the conversation?
2: Yeah, you messed it up basically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he did answer your question actually uh in the end where um, yes uh w- w- i think what you and i want him to admit is that he is one-fifth of the band that's and, exactly it yes and what he said was uh no this is never going to be the mike peters band because that is the alarm which is you know there's a middle ground here you know they're like, you know either you're you know, there's a difference between not being a part of it or taking over the band. You know, being being one-fifth is really what we're looking for. And I think what triggered uh, this thing is really the discussion we did last episode about the Denver show, where he started, I think, a negative spiral of thinking, I'm singing a Stewart band, I have to sing his words, I have to sing them the way he would have sung them. Uh, and maybe somewhere down the road he can allow himself to sing it the way Mike would have sung them. And one perfect follow-up would have been, you know, the fact that he changes a few words here and there. And yeah. And like look away, way, he changes a note to yes. He's already moving away from that. So uh, he uh, he kind of sidesteps that and say, no, it's Stewart's band. I have to sing it the way he does it. So uh, I wish I had uh, asked him that. I thought about that
1: after the fact. I thought yeah. oh, I should have asked him about that because that would have been really an interesting question. But...
2: But it's easy to think of that after the fact, and I know it, and that's why I say it. So I'm not saying I'm gonna remember it either. But uh, it's—he definitely has brought that element of changing words and adapting it to himself. So uh, I think, you know, in his mind, he must feel comfortable enough to do it. He must feel like he is part of the band. I can't, for one second, think that he isn't. But of course, on Mad Nights, it uh, comes across like it did in Denver. Uh, but the interesting part is it, that it needs to stem from Bruce and Mark as much as possible. So that was the interesting bit. And mm-hmm. he also said he can't bring a Mike Peter song to the table because then it will sound like the alarm. And the interesting bit there is the demo of uh, the terms and conditions became hurt. Yes. So he already brought a Mike Peter song to it. And um, But notice I, they're not playing that anymore, it seems. <laughs> they dropped quite a few songs, and that's a topic in itself. Uh, I think the the shows were longer at the beginning of the tour than they eventually became.
1: They definitely but, were, yeah.
2: Yeah. But uh, it does feel like Stewart's band. I think that's fair. I think um, the fact that he recognizes it should stem from Bruce and Mark and tap into that thing, which is at the core of Big Country. Uh, and he also mentions it being a guitar player's band. But also he recognizes Mark's input as Mark being a core member. And if it stems from those people, it will sound like big country. Yeah. So um, uh, it's good of him to keep that in mind. But, uh, you know, I I expect him fully to start contributing a bit more, you know, in time. That doesn't mean he goes away from, you know, upholding Stewart's traditions or, or memories or what have you. Right. Well, I mean the one
1: thing that I that I said to him and I I still feel really strongly about is I think that was a great way to approach doing the album because I told him that that I that the album really feels like big country and if it does it feels like big country to me and if if you remember the journey discussions I remember saying when I first heard the song Hurt it just didn't feel like big country to me that was like the only song that really didn't strike me as being Big country, so it's interesting to me to hear that we've discovered since a few months ago that that chorus stemmed from a Mike Peters song, and maybe that was one of the songs that was more of a Mike Peters uh, solo effort brought in and kind of a hybrid with something Bruce and Mark had come up with. But I think that was the right way that they that they approached the album, and it really worked. I mean, because it's it really does feel like a big country record. So right. When he, when he talks about wanting the album or wanting the band to be that guitar-based band i really appreciated that and that gave me a lot of uh i don't want to say hope but it just it made me feel good about the direction the band is going because i don't like we've said we don't want we don't want it to be big country plays the alarm and the fact that he's aware of that and doesn't want that either is is good i think for those of us who want that classic big country sound and um so i think i think they know what they're doing in that respect as far as recording new songs and and writing new songs and hopefully you know the next album will take a, a similar approach
2: Mm-hmm. yeah definitely uh, it was really interesting how he mentioned that the band toured the crossing extensively got into that mindset and then produced a journey which has ties back to the crossing and um going into the Steeltown part of this discussion. It's gonna be interesting that now they're talking about touring Steeltown. Yeah. And, and I just find it incredibly exciting that what may happen if they get into the Steeltown mindset and then produce a new album inspired by Steeltown. <laughs> that's
1: exactly what I was thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that's that's fantastic. And and who knows, you know, I don't know if they're if they're going to play Steeltown in its entirety the way they did the crossing. I, I get the feeling that, that they Ooh. are not. But uh just in, in some discussions with Bruce and things, I, I don't think they're going to do that, but you never know. You never know. Um, But, yeah, let's talk about the Steel Town news because one of the really interesting things that Mike brought up that was news to me is that he was the one who really brokered the talks about doing something really special with this album. So we really have him to thank for whatever is to come. Um it seems it seems like from what he said that Universal the record company was going to just re-release the album and maybe add something to it and he said it was going to originally come out this January. Yeah. And um he said that he kind of talked with them and said, "Well, let's do something special with it. Let's go back and then it kind of blossomed into the idea of remixing the whole album." And he he went on a really interest he really had an interesting uh, a lot of interesting comments there about the album and what really interested me was him when he said he was kind of privy to the inner circle of, of stories about how that album came about. And it really reinforced what we came to discover recently and in talking with Bruce is that the band, they just don't view that album the way that fans do. And that doesn't mean that they don't think it's great or that they don't think the songs are great. But it was a really – it's really come out now that it was a really problematic album for them to record. I mean they felt rushed. There was – turmoil going on people from what mike said people were not there for long periods of time and then they would come Mm -hmm. back and and we've heard about steve lillywhite having issues and so it's clear that the band isn't really happy with the with the density of that mix the way that the fans are and and i still say it's a masterpiece whether it was an accidental masterpiece or a or a you know something that they thought to do it 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 doesn't matter to me it's still a masterpiece but yeah uh, yeah, that, so the idea of what they're going to do with this album and remixing it, that's that's a huge undertaking. So that should be a really interesting uh, piece of work to come.
2: Yeah, I think Mike said it best. The Steel Town Celebration is something that's got to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, when you spoke with Bruce, he said that it would likely happen. But when we spoke to him the first time, he said that might not happen. Right. And I think... Uh, the recurring argument is these songs can't be played live. They're, they're impossible to play because of the way they turned out. And again, that was the underlying thing because of the way they turned out. That uh, th- There's been the sense a long time that they weren't happy with the results, and clearly they didn't share the same feelings for it that a lot of the fan base uh, did. So right. I'm just starting to speculate the fact that this deal celebration is going to happen, uh, that I wonder if the thought of a steel town vibration is something that they started thinking about because fans have asked about it and people like ourselves have talked about it and talked about our feelings for that album. So yeah. I'm wondering if this is something that has more dawned on them than being readily apparent to them from the get-go. And hopefully it is, and I, I said it before, stuff like you playing songs primarily from that album uh, when you open for them. And just the, the, the sum of all these things forces itself on them and um, so uh, Mike pretty much confirmed what we had a sense of for all these years that the feeling in the band is a lot of things went wrong with the album and that's actually a direct quote from the interview that a lot of things went wrong with that album and uh, so let's discuss that for a minute what really went wrong or maybe a better question is uh, what do they feel they have to set right yeah so um, I here are two things mentioned where number one is the mix is muddy and that's an obvious one and we talked about this you know obviously it is muddy that cannot be contested uh... some of us can say the mud is part of the sound and all that but uh, i would love for them to revisit re- revisit each part and work on the clarity to have parts shine and step out of the mud uh, there's a lot of incredible guitar parts and bass parts and drums that really kick up a storm and I would be tremendously excited to get sonic clarity for all of these parts to shine and come out mm. and kick us in the face of it. That part gets me really excited. Uh, but then there's the other thing that is mentioned about them going overboard with the overdubs. And this is much more touchy for me. <laughs> so obviously a huge part of what I like about this album is the cacophony of sounds and yeah overdubs and crazy guitar parts so i will admit freely that i am one of those people that mike speak of who is holding my breath a bit when i hear talks of removing parts from that album Uh, i i um i downright hope they don't do it obviously we know they are going to do it so please do it carefully is all i can say yeah Uh, i think the massive sound that comes from everything that's going on contributes enormously to the sound of that album, and it's a big reason why I latched onto it, despite the muddy mix. Uh, I think you described it as a guitar symphony at, at a point, and that really hits the nail on the head.
1: Yeah, I, that's how I've always felt about that album. It is a guitar symphony. And like I said, whether it was intentional or whether it was an accident, I, I found his comment really kind of funny, and, and I like to think about this the imagery of... Him saying that Stewart was gone for a while and Bruce and the engineer just sat yeah. and piled guitar part after guitar part. So there might be a lot more Bruce on that album than we ever expected as well. So yeah, really. But you know, I, I I'm kind of of the opinion that there's nothing they can do that will ever detract from the original to me. So I I, I welcome whatever experimentation they want to take on it. I mean, if if they do something and I I listen to it and think, ah, oh, no, I don't like this it's it's not going to affect the way i feel about steel town. steel town will always be there. steel town in the way it is now will always be my favorite album of all time. period. Uh-huh. so I, I i do, you know, certainly want to want them to approach this in a way that i really like the the approach that they take sonically and like you say I, i'd love for them to clean up some of that mud and and make things shine more and yeah. and hit you in the face more, but if they take certain parts out and make it a little bit more Clear and and bring some more clarity to the mix. I, I would find that interesting because um it, we'll talk about this whenever we talk about the box set. So I don't want to go too far in advance, but the song East of Eden, the live version of that, I find really really interesting, and it's so different from the from the Steeltown version. But I really like it a lot, and it's it's very airy and it's got more space to it, and it's it's really an interesting approach to that song. So if they if they give the songs a little bit more of that feel without, without taking the aggression away and the, and the darkness of the, of the whole feel of that album, which I don't think they can do anyway, because that's just ingrained in the songs and in the lyrics and everything else, which is, which is one of the reasons that steel town celebration sounds so bizarre to me because it's like one of the darkest albums ever. It's like a celebration of depression and, and joblessness. It's like, it's funny, but, uh, yeah, but, um, it, it'll yeah. be interesting to see what they do, and and they've been talking about bringing in Andrea Wright, who did the journey to to mix that remix that with them, and and one thing Mark mentioned to me too in Sellersville is that Tony wants to be a part of this. Um, he has made it a point saying that he wants to be a part of the remixing of Steel Town, which I think would be great. Um, Mark did say jokingly, he said he said he doesn't tr- trust him because and he, he's suspicious of this because then it will be two guitarists versus one drummer when they sit down to mix everything.
2: <laughs> <And> <laughs> At least maybe, maybe we'll keep all the three bass parts on Flame of the West. <laughs> yeah, right, right.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, you know, it'll be quite an undertaking. And if, and if they follow that up with a tour where they're they're playing these songs and revisiting these songs, man, what an exciting time this could be in the next year. So.
2: Yeah, I, I will wait anxiously for anything they do with Steel Town. So, uh, number one, they got to... Bring out the clarity. Whether they remove parts or not, if if they bring in less parts with the same mud, then they failed. That's right. that's like both things wrong in my opinion. So, but generally, uh, I think artists should be very careful about revising their works because once it's out there, it's kind of the public's. And if they now plan to scale back on the overdubs. It may still be a guitar-driven album, but I want them to keep the guitar symphony part. Yeah, I do too. um, So I I definitely agree with the remix uh, thing. So uh, we'll, we'll see if they really need to remove parts to achieve the clarity. And obviously, I have numerous albums which are about as heavily overdubbed as Steel Town, and most of those have perfect sonic clarity. So, obviously, they were recorded in later years with the benefit of advances in recording techniques and technology just to make it easier. But that's yeah. exactly why I think a remix of the album should be possible to do today, especially as they have the actual master tapes now, which you mentioned last time that they did. So... Uh, I think they can do it. Uh, and I fear that the drive to remove parts comes from this thing that Bruce has mentioned many times, that they want to create something that they can actually play live. Mm. It's a fear of mine. I fear it a lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I hope they don't take that approach where they want to make the, the album sound like, you know, something they can reproduce exactly live. I, I hope they don't go that far. Uh, because, yeah, the, they're, part of the whole genius of that album is all of the overdubs. I wouldn't mind them scaling back on them somewhat if, if if they're really caring about it, which I'm sure they would be, but yeah, I don't I don't get the feeling that they're gonna try to turn it into a live what they would play live, but who knows? We'll see. But um I know that they do think that it's too cluttered. So I think we can expect them to remove some parts. Yeah. Um and one thing Mike did also say is like taking the eighties trappings away. So I think that has a lot to do with the way it it was um, mastered and a lot of the reverb type stuff. So I think if if they deal with that's fine. That is fine. And if they deal with that, I think that will will really take care of that mud problem. So I think I think that is, is something that is definitely the main thing they need to approach. And I think that could could be taken care of with a good engineer and just Replacing a lot of those those '80s types of effects with something more modern and more EQ and that kind of thing, but you know, to me, it, it'll always be an alternate Steel Town, an interesting Steel Town, uh, whatever they do, but the the original is going to always be tops for me. So,
2: but so, I, I'm uh, I'm
1: really interested to see what they'll do with it.
2: Oh, yeah. So so my dream uh, release next year as to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Steel Town is obviously uh, they can't do the approach with The Crossing where they had all the demos. They don't have demos for for the Steel Town thing. So disc one could be a remix where they bring the clarity and they do a remix with all the parts. And a disc two, which is the band's version, as they always wanted it, where they remove parts and maybe rearrange it or you know they go crazy with with stuff, so we get both. That would be fantastic.
1: That would be interesting. I would like to hear that. I'd also like to hear like the the remix version, and then maybe, uh, if if they're up for it, by the time they record all this, they may not be. But uh, them doing what they did at the RAK sessions, playing the album in its entirety, and and getting getting that 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 album with Mike Peters singing as a separate disc or something. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe some people would think that would be sacrilege, but uh, I would I would like to hear that. But yeah, or or even just compile all the steel the live songs they did from Steel Town in the past and put them together in good quality. I know they did a, they did a lot of the Steel Town album, but uh, seven songs, some, seven. Okay, so I, I knew there were some that they didn't do. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Great Divide, Tall Ships Go, and what Girl would be the, Grey the eyes. Girl Girl with gray eyes. Yep. So yeah. It'll it'll be an exciting year no matter no matter what so um if they follow through with those plans which I really hope they do, and it seems like they're planning to, um yeah it should be a great year for Steel Town fans to finally finally get that album recognized the way it always should have been.
2: Oh yeah definitely and then That's... the three month Steel Town tour of Scandinavia.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well I hope they come come your way. You just, um, just, I'm you sure they will. It.
2: They just yeah. waited for the right tour. I, I can, uh, that would be I'm the a... right
1: tour, winter-based oh, music.
2: Yes. Yeah, they'd have, they have to do a Stockholm special, I think, to celebrate the happy days in Stockholm.
1: Yeah, that's right. I thought it was funny that Mike, Mike used the word psychosis at in one point <laughs> as far as the recording of that album. He said there was a psychosis going on. <laughs> it's like, in a way, I could see that with all, the, with all those parts thrown on there, but um, yeah, it was a kind of a beautiful psychosis.
2: Yeah. I mean, sometimes those, uh, psychosis is create the best works. Yeah, they really do <laughs> yeah, look at the crazy painters. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's nothing
1: like steel town, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But, um, anyway, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. So the next thing that I, that I asked Mike, um, that I thought was interesting, would be interesting to ask him. It kind of kind of just hit me while we were talking and he, he was very complimentary of Stewart's lyrics as he always is. And, um, I just was curious if there had been other lyrics of Stewart's that he really admired. I, I don't know. I always like asking artists what they think of other particular artists and what their thoughts are on mm-hmm. their work. and And obviously, you know, he's very close with Stewart's work. So I thought it was interesting that he picked stuff from The Buffalo Skinners and driving to Damascus as he cited them as being some of the things that he really likes the most, yeah, about Stewart. And then that kind of led into the next part of the discussion we can talk about, which was, stewart confiding in him that he sort of felt like he was forcing the band into the more nashville uh styles that he was getting into toward the end of his life so you know, let's talk about that a little bit as well as you know what mike said about stewart's lyrics and, you know there's, i guess there's not a whole lot to say about that it is what it is but because that was that and driving to damascus that was the time that stewart was really getting into those country influences and I thought it was really interesting. I and mean, we've heard this before. We all know that Stuart asked Mike and said that Mike would be a good person to take over the band. And uh-huh. that he, he wasn't, he wanted to take a break, but didn't want to keep the other guys from going forward if they wanted to. But I never really knew that he was so aware of and concerned about the the direction that he was going in, leading, that, leading the band into that direction unwillingly. And Mike kind of confirmed that when he said that the band really wanted to keep playing what we would consider classic, traditional, big country music, whereas Stuart was really getting into the, all the country stuff. And he just right. didn't – he didn't feel like the band wanted to go that way, but he did. And so it was interesting that he was he was having that whole notion of Mike taking over and – I don't know. I guess that would be a good question for the other guys. And we kind of asked them that when we spoke to Bruce a little bit, like like, did you want to go this route? But he was more diplomatic, but – I get the feeling that maybe they really did not like that direction.
2: No, I, I think he was pretty clear that this was something that Stewart was interested in, and uh, they did it because he wanted to do it because they respected the guy. But uh, what was never clear to me was whether this was a phase Stewart was going through or whether this was a groundbreaking. Uh, his universe had been shattered, you know, or musical universe had been shattered by this new kind of thing this this was going to be where he was going where he was headed and that goes back to the discussion we had on the journey that maybe Stuart wouldn't even be interested in going back to the direction that the band took now with the journey and from every indication we had and from what mike told you um he wouldn't be yeah i don't think he would have been no so that's uh Lost my train of thought. So that, is, uh, that really drives home the point of, of uh, uh, you know, is Mike, is Mike really taking anyone's place or is the new band now trampling on, you know, what would have been if Stuart was here? You know, Stuart would be in Nashville with a cowboy hat and be as happy as could be, I'm sure. So <laughs> right. that, which is perfect. You know, that's, uh, you know, do what makes you happy. And right. if he would do that and be happy and the band continue with someone else and be happy and they would both look at each other and be happy for each other that would be perfect and I think that is the scenario we have except you know unfortunately Stewart wouldn't be in Nashville with a cover hat right now he, but I think he would be very happy with what the band is doing and Mike said exactly this that Stewart would recognize and be proud of how Bruce and Mark has continued the band and the manner in which they did it and that the band actually is in very safe hands right now so um that the uh, it's it's the kind of stuff that gets to me when i hear it it's very heart, heartwarming
1: yeah yeah and and it brings up an interesting question too that we we should ask i mean how would that have worked do you think if stewart if stewart had lived and if what he wanted there had actually come to fruition where mike mike would have taken over big country and stewart would still be alive in nashville doing his country stuff do you think yeah. fans would have accepted this new big country the way that they have um now with Stewart dying, because I think that would be a more difficult challenge. I, I really do. I mean, um knowing that Stewart was still out there and could be in the band versus knowing that he's gone and he can never come back. So it's either Mike Peters joining the band or nothing. You know, I think I think that would have been an interesting scenario and probably would have caused even more um even more backlash. I don't know. What do you think about that?
2: I'm not sure it would have uh, if Stewart was alive doing that thing playing in Asheville be happy as can be and saying that Uh I don't think anyone can see oh, they're, they're not letting him back or anything like that and we actually have a perfect scenario to compare with we have what happened with Deep Purple where Richard Blackmore left the band and started playing medieval music with his wife in the band Blackmore's Night and it, they released the first album in 96-97 I believe and most people said, oh, this is a phase. You know, eventually he will be back in Deep Purple. But, you know, it's been uh, nearly 20 years with Blackmore's Night and he hasn't come back. And meanwhile, Deep Purple has kept going with uh, Steve Morris as a new guitar player. And there, you know, people will miss Richie Blackmore, but they know he's not coming back because he's really happy with the music he's playing now. It's totally different than Deep Purple. He says himself he's not interested in coming back. Uh, the other guys would never have him back. That's a different discussion, which we don't have in the big country world. But uh, the situations are quite similar. And uh, people will always come to a Black night show and hope for the odd old song and hope for him to bring out the electric guitar and rip a guitar solo or, or something and don't don't you think people would have done that with Stuart you know, they go to a country show you play his stuff and they would hope for him to bring out an old song and, and oh
1: yeah and, and we'd break out the travelers you know that would be great he would always play the travelers even the yeah. blue healer
2: yeah so it's exactly the same situation people would go to the shows and they would politely clap through some of the new stuff and they, they may or may not like it but they'll still wait for that old stuff
1: I think it's a little different though, for the fact that you know, I'm not—I don't know much about Deep Purple, so I can't say you know what effect they have or don't have on their fans. But Stewart being the voice of the band, you know, the main songwriter, everything, and and just that force of nature, and just kind of the way that that band, led by him, really affected people's lives. I don't know. I, I just feel like people would accept Mike in the band, but I think they would probably be more like uh we want stewart to come back you know when is stewart coming back maybe after a few years they would they would accept it more and if especially if the band put out good quality material but i think it would just be more i think i think with this band because of the emotional the deep emotional attachment to stewart um i think people would just still always be it would be more difficult i think for mike because i think people would always be waiting and hoping for that moment when stewart would come back and and rejoin the band and then it would be kind of like you know, this is the way it should always be. Whereas now it's
2: it's yeah, kind of people, been born
1: of necessity. You know,
2: people would always hope, but uh, I'm sure Stuart would be 100% supportive. Say these guys are great. Please go support them. Oh yeah, and, I'm sure he uh, would be too. Yeah, wow. I'm, I'm absolutely positive, and he would support him, He would tell people to support them. Say that I'm not coming back. I'm happy doing these things. Would we'll always be the best of friends and uh, after a couple of years of hearing the same things over and over again, how many people would still carry that grudge and say, Oh, he's he's still just keeping Stewart's butt warm, and the Stewart has to come back soon. And, uh, I don't know. It's uh, right. There are some fans who still won't accept Mike, and they seem to be more Stewart fans than big country fans by just... They, they love the band with Stewart, they love everything with Stewart, and everything without Stuart is basically just forget about it. Uh, And that's even forgetting that, you know, the bandwidth Stuart was also a bit variable. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
2: He didn't always sit in his study with his quill and write utterly poetic stuff. (laughs) Uh, Some stuff uh, is, uh, you know, here or there, but that's fine. You know, it's it's different things. Uh, They went away from the imagery of the early days. And uh, definitely, if you look at driving to Damascus, there is a lot of, what Mike called story-driven uh, songs, yeah. uh, which which was an interesting part of that interview. That he said the band has to be guitar-driven, yes. but it became songwriter-led on Driving to Damascus. I thought uh, that was such
1: a great point because that really like crystallized what I've always felt, but didn't really know how to word it and didn't know what how to how to ex- express it. And Mike expressed that perfectly.
2: Yeah. Do you agree with him though that he referred to it as an identity crisis?
1: I completely agree with him. Uh, whether it was a crisis or not, I guess the band members would have to comment on that. But for, for the fans, I think it sort of was because you know, I, I really, really do believe that Stewart was really getting more into – well, I mean it's obvious. It's not whether you believe it or not, but Stewart was really moving away and had moved away from that more abstract imagery type of lyrical writing, which we all love so much from the early big country days. And he really, really was getting more into telling stories in his music, and he himself said in interviews during that time that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to to tell more stories, and right. Fragile Thing tells a story, and so many songs on Driving to Damascus tell stories, and that's kind of the way that country writers write, I think, more than other genres. they 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 tend to approach things in a storytelling way, and I think that was part of the influence he was getting from those people that he was working with and he, he was really enjoying it. And rather than do what he had done in the past with the band where they would jam and they would come up with good parts that they liked and they would kind of form them into a song. Now he was doing what, uh, what Mike Peters, I would, I would assume does with the alarm where he, and what a lot of people do is where he just sits, comes up with the entire song himself, takes a different lyrical approach to it than he had done in the past. And, presents a fully formed song and I think that's what Mike was talking about as far as being a songwriter led band mm-hmm. there was there was less of that outside full band um collaboration that there had been in the past and not only was Stewart changing as a lyricist but I think he was changing in the way that he was writing the music as well so yeah the the band was was becoming something a little bit different so it's it's kind of ironic that Mike is the guy that really with the way that he wants the band to do business with, when they're writing music, he's kind of brought it back to the way it was in the beginning. Yeah. And So so many of us who wanted when when Big Country when Stuart was doing Big Country, so many of us who wanted them to go back to that sound, which they never were going to do, it's kind of strange and interesting that you know Mike Peters is the guy who's brought it back to that, and I I, I appreciate that from him because I think that shows an incredible awareness of, on his part. And, and an interest on his part of of what the band meant and the and the way they worked and what made them work and I think that's really one of the many things that you know you can add to the equation of what makes mike Peters such a such a great guy and an interesting guy and a and a a guy who's as we've said in the past who's really very egoless and he wants this to work the way that he thinks people want big country to sound and the way the guys want big country to sound and I think he's, he's done it the right way. And, um, yeah, and, you know, during that portion of the discussion, I tried once again to ask him about it being his ban. I tried to kind of try to clarify what I was saying, and, and um, I almost got it right that time, but still he kind of jumped in and, and started <laughs> the second, talking.
2: The second time he actually interrupted you, so that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's not your fault. Uh, yeah. I think he thought you brought up the same point rather than try to actually explain yourself yeah because I was trying to like okay I know
1: at that point I knew what he thought I was saying and I wanted to really clarify it but I I wasn't doing a great job but I was trying and then yeah he just kind of like said no you know it's never going to be that band it's never going to be my band and uh,
2: (laughs) I insist on being there the next time (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah well yeah you, you can be hopefully next time we'll be able to do a good Skype interview with him at some point down the road
2: yeah a five hours Skype extravaganza
1: yeah, if if there's time, if in his life, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, and that kind of at, at the end, you know, I did get in the uh, the question that you had wanted to ask too is, does he ever take a vacation? And you could hear his wife Jules chime in in the background. She was sitting.
2: <laughs> it was just
1: me and Jules and Mike sitting in there, and she was doing something on the computer, and and she was listening as as we were talking. And uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. I'm glad Mike takes vacations, but if they count days off on tour as vacation, I'm I'm not sure that counts.
1: But you know, like they like I said, if you do what you love, you're not really working and obviously they're they're just immersed in what they love, which is music. And so I guess I guess it's all like a vacation to them in a way. I mean Yeah. It's just uh it's hard work, because there's no doubt it's about that. But Yeah. But uh they're making their living doing that and doing what they love and he looked great. He looked God. he just kinda had a great aura about him he he had a great uh he had a great skin tone i guess it's strange to say that but he did You know, he had a very healthy healthy glow about him and he looked good so um you know i felt good about that and his voice sounded fantastic at the show too so yeah really good stuff and i, I guess the last thing we could talk about here is um mike kind of uh without even me asking him he kind of started to speak about whether he's accepted and into the band, and, and I, I wanted to make a point to tell him, you know, how much I appreciated what he did, and, and I was speaking on behalf of a lot of you guys out there too, who have made your your opinions known. And I know there are people who are kind of on the fence about it. There's a smaller group of people who are not on the fence at all; they're really against it. Um, but I think I think I'm right when I say that the, the majority of people, especially after hearing the journey. The majority of fans have totally embraced Mike, and and that says nothing about diminishing what Stewart has done or diminishing anyone's love for Stewart. And I think Mike said it perfectly when he was talking about Mark's quote when he said, you know, what you have, the memories you have are safe. There's nothing that's going to change those memories in the past, and this is just something new that we're doing, those of us who are left. We, we have no choice. We can either keep doing it or not do it. Stewart is gone. He's not coming back. Yeah. So I, I think most people have accepted that and, and have embraced it, and especially when they heard how good the Journey album was, even more so. So, anyway, so it, it was interesting hearing Mike going off on the people who have not accepted it, and him saying, you know, if you don't accept it, that's fine. He understands that, but he said, you know, why I don't? What I don't understand, he said, is the people who are trying to tear it down or who would try to rip it down, and and I think, you know, that's something that he just doesn't grasp and. And understandably so. And he said, you know, if you don't like it, just walk away from it. There's no reason for you to start sites that are like anti the
2: new big country. I mean, why put
1: that kind of effort yeah. into it, an emotional effort? But
2: Exactly. His life is based on being positive. And he knows what the power of positive thinking can do. So obviously there's an element of if you use that potential – or channel it into negative thinking and spend a lot of time and effort on being negative. Gosh, what a waste! It's really sad. You know, you don't need to like the band, but God finds something better to do. And I think He said it best with, uh, "They are trying to heal wounds; they're not trying to create wounds." Yeah. And I think that that's really admirable. And if even if you don't like what they're doing musically, or, or a band without Stewart is hard to accept, which is fine. Uh, at least recognize it for what it is. They're trying to do something good. They're trying to heal something, trying to move on. And a lot of people are really appreciating that and getting something out of that and see that for what it is and move on saying, you know, wish them the best of luck and, you know, thanks for all the years where I was following you guys.
1: Yeah. You know, the one thing that, it, that I think I did get across um, and I was happy about the way I got that across on behalf of, a lot of people out there is just that we appreciate what Mike is doing and trying to do. And not only that, but the way that he's gone about it. And, um, he, has got such reverence and respect for Stewart. And I, I think that comes through so well in that interview and in every, so many other interviews that he's done and just what he does in general. And, um, you know, you're not going to find someone who has more respect for Stewart probably than Mike Peters. And, uh, so the bands in good hands these guys are making some great music they're playing great shows they brought the spirit of the band back and like i said to mike they brought the joy of the music back in my opinion and i'm really appreciative of it i mean look who who would have thought you know three or four years ago that we would be talking about new music new tours albums being re-released and re-remixed and celebrating old albums and all this so i mean it's great it's great it's a great time to be a big country fan So I guess that'll wrap it up for episode 23. So thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook. to search for The Great Divide Podcast. Listen to us on iTunes. Send us an email if you have some feedback at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. And we will be back soon. Bye-bye, kiddies.